do think that it is the role of the nephrology community to take the lead on educating the broader medical community as well as patients and the public. Because if we don't speak on behalf of this issue, no one else is going to. I'm Alessandro Balducci. I'm the president-elect of the International Federation of Kidney Foundation. And I was former general secretary of the Italian Society of Nephrology and the president of the Italian Kidney Foundation. Okay, Dina. I'm Dina Abdelatif, and I'm a consultant of nephrology in Cairo University, Cairo, Egypt. And I'm also the secretary general of the International Federation of Kidney Foundation, World Kidney Alliance, a member of the steering committee of the World Kidney Day and an ISN fellow. And um, thank you. Ricardo. Yes, uh, my name is Ricardo Correa Rotter. I am from Mexico City. I work in the National Medical Science and Nutrition Institute, professor of nephrology and medicine, as well as in the National University uh, of Mexico, many years involved with the International Society of Nephrology, in which I have had several positions, including Secretary General, and my whole interest is chronic kidney disease, progression, prevention, and treatment uh, with several focuses, but with one main focus, the benefit of the patient for the future. Thank you so much. Catherine? Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Catherine Tuttle. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Washington, and I'm executive director for research in the Providence Health System. I'm a nephrologist who's had a long-term interest in diabetes and the kidney. I chair the Diabetes Kidney Collaborative Task Force for the American Society of Nephrology and was uh, an invited author uh, onto the editorial for World Kidney Day and appreciate the opportunity to join the sustained group in the effort. Thank you. I would like anyway to talk and to have your opinion about the prevention and the identification of new drugs, since we have to take care about also low and middle income countries and poor countries. In that area, there will be a big revolution since you know very well that uh, hemodialysis and peritoneal are very, very accessible, costly in all these poor countries, and people have many difficulties to access to this treatment. So with the prevention, we probably <laughs> have much more opportunity to treat and to and to prevent to release the the evolution of chronic kidney disease and uh, so i would like to start with dina talking about the prevention due to availability of new drug please dina hi thank you for the introduction and um, as you all know that the chronic kidney disease has become um, a burden on all the economics worldwide, and as Alice, as Alessandro just mentioned, that the dialysis uh, cost is getting too high. Whether it is hemodialysis or transplantation or um, peritoneal dialysis, the cost is really high. So we have to start working as early as we can as early as we can for the prevention of chronic kidney disease that's now affecting 
almost one of every uh, 10 persons has a problem or has a degree of chronic kidney disease. So we have to work with prevention. We have to promote all the phys physicians, all nephrologists, um, uh, endocrinologists, and all the general practitioners have to stress and to work hard on screening all the high-risk population, all the diabetics, the hypertensives, uh, relatives of kidney disease, all the elderly, and all the high-risk populations. And this is according to the guidelines that all those has to be regularly screened for chronic kidney disease. So the first part would be the prevention that we have to work as early as we can. Secondly, if the patient has a chronic kidney disease, then we have to use all the weapons that we have got now for delaying the progression of the chronic kidney disease. If we have got four pilot uh, um, medications now for the delaying or retarding the progression of chronic kidney disease, then it is time to use them all and not to waste time, more time, uh, and having patients, more patients with um, progressing uh, or um, end-stage kidney disease. If we have press inhibitors, the SPLT2 uh, inhibitors, we have the uh, non-steroidal MRAs and GLP-1s. So all the medications now are available and we don't have to wait another 17 years like the previous studies have shown that it's taking 17 years between the time between we have the evidence and between we have the guidelines and between and the time that we really implement those medications and they are used widely among uh, patients. Still, there is a problem in the consumption, even with the uh, um, RAS inhibitors and studies show that most of the patients with chronic kidney disease start consuming or start with uh, the physicians prescribe for them uh, uh, um, RAS inhibitors. But by the time, only half of those patients are still on the RAS inhibitors due to AKI, due to hyperkalemia, although the, all the guidelines show now that we have to correct uh, uh, AKI have some space for this decline that we are uh, expecting. Correct hyperkalemia, give medications for the hyperkalemia, but not to stop the medications. So we have to be aware of all this and we have to ensure that all the patients are receiving the medications. We have to be um, aware of the initial dip, whether for the RAS inhibitors, whether for the SGLT2 inhibitors, and this should not stop us from using the medications. Same with all the other medications that could be used for all the kidney diseases in all ways. I, I think that what is very important about these new drugs is also the fact that they are useful for both simultaneously for heart and kidney. So I hope this will make easier the cooperation between cardiologists and nephrologists that has been many times very disappointing. So maybe with these new drugs, we can make, we can establish and strengthen 
a new uh, connection between cardiology and nephrology. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to participate in this really important discussion. And as uh, Professor Correa Rauter said, we really have to start with greater awareness and detection of kidney disease um, because it is markedly underdiagnosed. Um, and if we don't diagnose it, we can't prevent or treat it. Um, and that's going to be a really important effort worldwide to increase awareness and to make screening and detection efforts accessible across all regions of the world. Um, as Professor Abdatelif told us, many, many people have kidney disease. It's at least one in 10. I can tell you in U.S. healthcare systems, it's now one in five. Uh, who walk through our doors. So it's one of the most common, underrecognized, and undertreated chronic conditions in the entire health system. So, Professor Balducci, as you pointed out, it's not just a nephrology problem, it's really a problem for healthcare and medicine in general. The other thing, too, that's extremely important is we're not just talking about preventing progression of kidney disease. We now have tools in hand that really can cause regression or remission. We really need to reframe the discussion that progression to kidney failure is not a fait accompli. And in fact, as you also pointed out, there's the competing risk of death. And in fact, most people who develop chronic kidney disease don't make it to kidney failure, only 10% too. That's a ragtag survivor band of people who didn't die of the cardiovascular complications. And the new tools that we have uh, are really remarkable in that, in that they prevent death. Uh, in the meta-analysis that we did, all-cause mortality was reduced by 12%. But if you look at the kidney trials, like in DAPA-CKD, it was 30%. So it, the death uh, benefits probably diluted by the non-CKD trials. Our patients may have the most mortality benefit to gain. And I think we have failed to recognize that risk in people with chronic kidney disease. And then, of course, most of that's driven by cardiovascular disease. So you know, among the survivors, then um, we can prevent progression or even imagine a day where there's truly regression or remission of kidney disease. So it is a revolutionary time. Um, part of the problem with lack of awareness and detection is that kidney care has not been prioritized by health policy or health systems. And we've focused on other important conditions like cancer and heart disease, and we should continue those efforts. Those are very important public health problems. But this one in terms of impact on mortality and disability is at least as large. And we really need to have very loud voices in the room advocating uh, for support, for awareness, detection, and I'm going to say intervention. Uh, and, and we really do now have life-saving therapies. And I do think that our field needs to refocus from uh, care of kidney failure to kidney health. And that's not to say that we don't need dialysis and transplant. That will always be a necessity for some patients. But we really need to have our field focused on saving lives and among the living, saving hearts and kidneys and maintaining health. Prevention is a very big word. I think it's an important issue and it has many components, but we have to stress that before prevention, the most important thing is to know 
who's sick, who has a disease. There's nothing we can prevent if we don't know how many people are affected. And there's evidence that at least one in 10 individuals in this planet have uh, some degree of chronic kidney disease, but probably around 80 to 90% of them are not diagnosed. And more so in low income and low middle income countries than in high income countries. Historically, it has taken very long, and Dina was talking about it, to, to implement things. And actually, in the field of kidney diseases, we had a dry, dry spell for many, many years with no new drugs. But if we look back at that period, we can see that even when there was a new drug, at the beginning of this century, implementation has taken 20 years and we're far away from full implementation. Now we are on a very new phase, one that's hopeful, one that opens opportunities not only to prevent but also to treat and even to regress in some degree the diseases we have new drugs. And I'm not saying one group of drugs, at least three groups of drugs and maybe more coming on. But and we state this in our editorial, we have to change the pace. Implementation, which takes a quarter of a century, has to happen in very short periods now. And we need to move as fast as the change that happens with internet. If it does with internet, why can't it happen also in implementation of things that are good for patients. So we need to make things available to get people diagnosed, to get people treated, and we have the tools. We have guidelines, we have effective medications. What we need is to work in public policies, those that make decisions need to be incorporated. We need to speak loud and ask them for the support. So policies are uh, in place to generate those healthcare packages that are essential for our patients with chronic kidney disease. Thank you very much, Ricardo. We are now about half time of our podcast. So we shall move to a second round. Uh, and that, from all you said, there is a consequence uh, about the policy to adopt uh, for spread the knowledge about diagnosis first and prevention after of kidney disease. And uh, so one of the items is the access and providing adequate care and also medication regarding patients and healthcare workers. <laughs> how to overcome the related difficulties. So um, I don't know what re really, apart the editorial, we can do as in the work in the days or after, after this to spread the knowledge about the renal disease. First to the GP, the general practitioners who still don't take in account very often the importance of uh, renal disease, even in, in its early stages, how to overcome these challenges, how to involve most health policy, healthcare professionals, and I should say caregivers. Uh, caregivers uh, are always very often doesn't take in account uh, to, to, to improve and to 
potential have a role in treating the, the patients. This in all the countries, low, middle, high, in Italy, for instance, uh, the policy about caregiver is quite lacking, and so maybe in other countries. So let's see what really we can do with our editorials, with the working day, with internet mostly, as Ricardo underlined in this case. Starting from Dina first, please. Well, I totally agree, and uh, this is very uh, this is very important, and it's very important, especially for the low income countries who suffer and who cannot provide uh, treatments and renal replacement therapies. So we have to start very early by the prevention and by screening, and all the GPs has to be connected, and the early referral to the nephrologist has to be. Um, is a must and has to be implemented. And we should use the internet, like Ricardo has mentioned, that there are many mobile applications now that are used everywhere and we're using them in our daily life in everything. So there are many mobile applications or internet-based um, uh, calculators or websites that can help the physicians and can help us at least as reminders that we are not up going up to the standard and we're not following the guidelines and we're not efficiently treating our patients. Also, the pharmacists, pharmacists has to be involved and there is a great uh, role for the clinical pharmacists in this field. And if, if the prescription is revised before the visits for the nephrologist and discussed with the nephrologists, then many of the gaps would be identified and corrected in the visit. And we make sure that those patients are adequately treated and, and, and receiving the appropriate uh, medication for them. Screening has to be part of the follow-up of all the high-risk population that they should be screened for chronic kidney disease. And like Ricardo mentioned, that there is only 20% who are aware of their chronic kidney disease at the time that they are discovered. So we have a huge gap between the awareness and between the identification of the, those chronic kidney disease and those 80% who are not aware of their kidney disease, they are not seeking even treatment. And the, the 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 problem is is magnified in the low income countries where there is sometimes in some areas they cannot reach uh, a specialist they have no nephrology referrals so this is very very important and we have to work on this and increasing the awareness of the chronic kidney disease and of course with the uh, medications with the internet with the pharmacists and all the policies and this should be a multidisciplinary approach uh, for the patients rather than just the nephrologist role. Thank you, Dina. I remember when I was in Yemen uh, in a very terribly poor village 15 years ago and uh, all people had uh, his own mobile. They were at that time connected mostly to watch at the at the football matches, but now technology is involved. I think we had absolutely to empower the role of internet in this from an educational point of view. Ricardo. 
That must yes. it's Yes, Alessandro. Uh, thanks again. I mean, I, uh, something that we have to f be very clear about is that the task ahead of us is not a simple one. It's a very complex and needs to be addressed from multiple directions or multiple angles. And as long as we do it that way, we might be successful. For example, there's challenges from the side of the health care professionals. There's, this is not a, this is not a challenge for nephrologists. This is for the whole medical community. And there's a shortage of primary care professionals in good parts of the world and good part of the world. And on the other hand, it, there's poor definition of the roles and responsibilities of each one of the players. I mean, we need a multidisciplinary team to understand and to approach this better. We also have another type of challenges, for example, what we call clinical inertia. And clinical inertia means that we keep on doing things the way we do them, do them and have been doing them for decades because we do not approach appropriately the need of change. And physicians stay with old prescriptions and the system doesn't move according to innovation. We need to break down clinical inertia and to make this happen as soon as possible. And of course, if we center our, our problem on the most important thing that we have here, that's the patient, there's many issues that we need to approach. We need to improve significantly health literacy. We need to make things available and at a cost that patients and families can cover. Hopefully, not even that, hopefully covered by a, a universal health system that would be the ideal way, but we have to move forward in a very integrated way. We have to be open to receive innovation because we are now very happy that we have things on the table that we can use, but believe me, this is not the end of it. We will see better things coming on and we hope very soon. So this is a complex problem. We all have to work together. It's a responsibility that we share with policymakers, with government, with healthcare people, as Dina said, uh, or, or I don't know, yeah, or Alessandro, yes, I, I, I don't remember exactly, but the healthcare people, the, the people that go with the, with the patient, those need to be also considered as an important, a very important element. And I'll stop there to hand the mic to the next speaker. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you very much. Now, Catherine, please. Well, I think we've heard a lot of great ideas. I do think that it is the role of the nephrology community to take the lead on educating the broader medical community as well as patients and the public. Because if we don't speak on behalf of this issue, no one else is going to. So nephrologists are going to have to take a lead role. I think we do need to forge strong partnerships with primary care, public health, cardiology, endocrinology, but we cannot abdicate this responsibility. 
this is our responsibility. These are our patients, and we need to work in partnership with other groups as appropriate, depending on the region and how care is delivered. But it is our responsibility to get the word out, to shout it from the rooftops that we have drugs that save lives, hearts, and kidneys, and it's an enormous public health problem. And Really, the breakthroughs that we have, you know, are on par with some of the largest in medicine. Again, I'll go back to even if you want to look at the mortality benefit we're seeing with SGLT2 inhibitors. This is on par with antibiotics for pneumonia or opening an artery up uh, with a myocardial infarction. And what if we didn't tell anybody about those therapies? For us not to speak broadly and loudly that we have life-saving therapies would be irresponsible. I mean, we really have to come out strong and loud. And it includes education, and it includes education for professionals like we're working on, but it also includes patients and public health priorities. And no matter how care is delivered in the world, ultimately it does come down to payment policies and metrics, because what gets done is what's paid for and what's measured. And that's another place that I think our professional societies in nephrology need to be very active in terms of getting this to be a health policy priority and where this is um, where there are metrics. Um, because again, what gets measured is what gets paid for. And I think, you know, our field, because for a long time, there wasn't much we could do for kidney disease. We're behind on that, but we can catch up. But I think we need to recognize if we look at other fields where there's been great success, uh, for example, uh, there's recently been a very nice analysis in JAMA looking at the reduction in mortality from breast cancer, more than 50% reduction in mortality from breast cancer over the last 30 years. And they looked at what factors were responsible. Drugs were responsible for part of it. But a big part of the benefit was public awareness, policies, and payments. And so I think we really have to think very differently than we have. But I view it as an opportunity. It's a revolutionary time. But, you know, it's going to take a while for culture to adapt. But Nephrology is going to look very, very different than it has historically, and it's exciting. It's going to be so much better, and I think it'll also help us attract younger people, early career people into this field because they want to do, they want to go into a field where they can really make a difference. And I think nephrology right now is is where we can make an enormous difference. And, and I would also submit that there's no other area in medicine where we have as many advances as we're having now. And like Ricardo said, uh, you know, the SGLT2 inhibitors were just the first in line. We're about to hear the results of flow and the kidney outcomes from select, which are going to be stunning. The aldosterone inhibition field is exploding. And that's not even mentioning other therapies like endothelin antagonists that are re-emerging. So we're going to look we're going to look a lot more like other fields. We have a portfolio of therapies. We'll use different therapies in different settings. So there's a lot of work to be done, but it's an exciting time because we have solutions we've never had before. I completely agree with you. Well, now please, Dina. Um, we have to start now and. 
um, we have to be connected to the healthcare providers and we have to to the policy makers because uh, still there is an issue with the cost and with the uh, affordability and the availability of those medications which are not always um, affordable for many of the patients, especially if some of those patients are paying out of the pocket for their treatment. So this is an issue. And this has to be discussed with the policymakers and with the healthcare providers on how to make sure that if patients can receive their medications in an affordable way. We need more communications with the GPs. We need more communications with the internists, with the cardiologists, because those are the ones who meet or have contact with those early stages of chronic kidney disease. By the time uh, the patient is referred for a nephrologist, sometimes it is a bit late. So there should be a direct communication and uh, conferences, uh, website-based webinars, or in stress, we have to keep on stressing on the GPs and the uh, um, internists or the endocrinologists about the necessity of identifying and screening for chronic kidney disease patients in the high-risk population. So we have a long way to go. We have a lot of work that has to be uh, done as nephrologists, because we are the one who is, who is who are responsible for raising those issues, and we have the responsibility of reaching out to the community and to the healthcare providers and the policy makers. So we make sure that we do not have to wait another twenty or seventeen years, like in uh, previous uh, medicines, because. Every year that we are losing is causing us a lot of money and and not just the money, but the life of the patients and the quality of life and the productivity of those persons, not even say patients, of those persons in their community and their, with their families and their lives. So we have a responsibility that we have to share with the community uh, from now on. Thank you. Thank you, Dina. Ricardo. Thank you. Thank you, Alessandro. Thank you very much. And for this last minute remark, uh, I would like to, one, stress the importance that has been said by Dina and Kathy of the responsibility of the nephrologists, and two, center my comment into public policy. Public policies um, are not in, in relation to CKD are not present, not incorporated in many countries. Actually, CKD is only incorporate, incorpor incorporated into non-communicable disease strategies in, a, in less than half of the countries of the world. Policies are required. They are needed badly to integrate kidney into the care that's essential in preventing a series of cardiovascular and other chronic non-communicable disease in a vision of a more unified universal health coverage. Uh, and this needs to address not only pharma that we have been speaking, but also uh, and speaking into more uh, 
to those countries that are in development, low, middle, and income, also to incorporate social determinants of health, which are definitely major amplifiers. We know that CKD is more prevalent within poverty than within countries that have better economic conditions or at least social groups that do have this. So we should invest more, promote more into prevention, primary, secondary, and also into implementation of what we know that today does work. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, Catherine. Well, I think, Dina, Ricardo, you've summarized this very well. And, and I'll just add that what an exciting time we're in. The reason that we have these challenges is that we have solutions to one of the most vexing health problems in the world. And going forward, it, you know, it is going to be very different, but it's a creative time. And I, I think it's an opportunity for people to think in new ways and for new people to come into the field and help implement these therapies. And, you know, we really are on a trajectory that I, I think is going to continue. Um, and so it's, it, it is a field where I think people can really make a difference and supported again by proper policies and payments, we can make enormous impact. And so I'm grateful to still be here and be part of it and look forward to uh, you know, being being part of the solution and, and and look look forward to what other people bring to the table as well. Um, and so I'm thankful that I was able to be involved in this editorial. I think it's very important. It really is a call to action for the global community, but it it it's it's a good call because we have solutions now. Uh, it's a big problem, but we we have a lot we can do about it. And now is our time to shine. Uh, nephrology needs to stand up and shine a bright light and say we have a solution now. This is enormous. It will have major impact on human health throughout the world. And so, um, I, I think we should all celebrate World Kidney Day and and this Kidney Day where we actually now can come forth and say there are real solutions. We just have to figure out how to get our job done. Yes, it seems to me that we are again back to the 60s or the 70s when the hemodialysis spread up and the role of nephrology was emerging. Then in the last year we were in, in sort in the, in the second list, second floor. Now we have this possibility with much less cost. And so I think uh, we have, as you said, it's a very creative era and we must be ready to profit about this and to stay online. So thank you very much to everybody to your contribution.